Hey you guys, are you ready for the best show in the Pacific Northwest? Here's my dad to his boyfriend and friend. Hey you guys, what's going on? It's the Ron and Don Show, episode number 117, and he's Ron Upshaw, live from the shores of South Lake Union. I'm Don O'Neill, actually live from the shores of South Lake Union. I stopped by Ron's place today, and hey... It's good to be hanging out. We're still six feet apart. Oh, we are like more like eight feet apart, but uh, yes, it's good to have you over here. Yeah. Hey, coming up on the Run and Don Show, Ron, we're going to talk about a town in Washington State that's creating its own currency. Our peeps out in Tenino. This is a pretty amazing story. I'll be interested to get your take on it. Yeah. Also, I got an email from my cousin Jim the other day that really bothered me, and I wrote about it on my social media. I want to share it with you. We'll get to that here in a moment. And then also, let's talk about the things that really make us happy, because I think I think as we've all gone through this COVID thing, as we are all going through this national awakening about what's happening specifically black and brown people in America and the police, I think a lot of us are asking questions. Hey, what makes me happy? What brings me pleasure? We're going to talk about that because there's some new science in that we're going to share with you. Before we get to that, let's get to this. Seattle right now, it is a hotbed of activity. And Ron, everybody's talking about Capitol Hill. They're also talking about D. Funding the police. You've kind of looked into defunding the police. Well, I know this has already turned into a political flashpoint, and you've seen the president of the United States like, if you guys don't take care of your city, I'm coming in there and taking care of it for you. Like all this Twitter war going back and forth between the mayor and shots are fired uh, metaphorically and politically on this. And I know the knee jerk reaction is to say that's ridiculous. Uh, of course, we need the police. Uh, I, I've I've done a deeper dive into this. That is not what defund the police the movement is about i think the title they chose is really incendiary and it's it's something that if it was a different title but i don't know what the title would it be it doesn't to, to your point it doesn't serve the movement well it doesn't Correct. it doesn't serve it well right because it, what they're talking about is and if you just take a step back Let's say you and I were having, uh, we're here recording the podcast, and then I go into some sort of mental breakdown where you're worried about me, where uh, I'm just, I've lost touch with reality. Maybe I'm talking about doing violent things or self-destructive things, and you've, maybe you've seen this before, maybe you haven't, and you don't know what to do. Yeah. All right. So you pick up the phone, you call 911. Hmm. Who do you want to come over here? to intervene in this situation. Maybe I grab a knife out of the kitchen and I'm like, this is it, Don. I'm, I'm making this up as I'm going along. Yeah. Uh, the, I've been depressed. I'm, I'm, this is it. I'm, I'm done. You're suicidal. You're, Whatever. Yeah. So now you call 911 and there's a, a police officer down the street here downtown. They put on lights and sirens. They rush over here and they come in uh, into the condo with uh, 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 their their badge and their gun, full uniform, and we get into a confrontation. I start yelling at them, why'd you call the cops on me? So mm-hmm. this thing starts to escalate. Is that police officer, even though he, they responded within three minutes, and that you and I both ha- have been supportive of police our entire careers, is that really the right person for that job? Does that police officer, as good-hearted as he or she may be, as well-trained uh, as humanly possible to take care of police work, is that the right person for the job? Because this is a serious mental health issue. It's a serious uh, self-harm issue going on. And so what the defund the police movement says is, let's rethink how we're doing this. 
Maybe in that scenario, the police officer's not the right tool for the job. If it was the same scenario, but I was high on drugs and I'm having a bad trip, it is not going well. You, I, I call you because you're my friend. You come over and you're like, oh my God, I don't know how to deal with this. This is way out of control. I don't know what you took. I don't know if you're responsive. I, you call 911. Police officer arrives. Is that the right tool for the job? So what the defund the police movement is about is can we rethink, because they, they just took out the city budget and they saw the line item for police and it's very, very expensive. So like, would we be better off if we chop that budget up into the component parts of what police were asking them to do. So instead of, I think the number was around 130 something million dollars. Instead of taking $130 million and just giving it to, to the police. Well, well, so we're just not throwing out numbers. Most cities spend between 50 and 60% of the city budget uh, on, on, on 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 policing, yeah, correct. On, on policing, not, so and that's not including fire. That's just, that's just including, police. That's including so police. defund the police. Says let's take that that percentage. That's a better way to look at it. Fifty percent. Let's chop that up. So let's say rapes, murders, uh, gang violence, like actual police stuff involving violence or, or property theft, uh, breaking and entering, uh, auto theft, those sort of things. We're going to dedicate. Let's say it's twenty five percent just for round numbers. The other 25%, let's take that money and give uh, some of it to mental health, give some of it to drug prevention, give some of it to community building in, in areas that have higher crime. Maybe there's a reason why the, the crime is higher in that area. So instead of it all going into one bucket, let's make a bunch of different buckets and see what happens. We've seen what happens with this model where you have people marching on one side of a barricade, on the other side of a barricade, you have a police in full riot gear. And there have been tons of psychological studies that have shown, and uh, the most famous one, I believe, was at Stanford Prison Experiment. If, if I'm in a uniform and I'm the enforcement and I see you in a, not in a uniform and you're the enforcee, well, human nature is I'm going to enforce because that's my role, that's my job, that's what I'm dressed up as, that's what my, my outdoor uh, uh, appearance is. And so you are going to, you're going to have to obey me because I'm in the role of the person that's going to obey. So if I'm in riot gear and uh, I'm going to come out, I'm going to enforce riot protocol. That's just the way human, human beings are. So the, the defund the police thing, when you really step away from the rhetoric and step away from the politics and go... Would it be interesting to try this out? There has been one city. It, it, it might be Rochester, New York. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's a small town it's in Camden, New York. New, it's Camden, Camden New, New Jersey. Camden, New Jersey. Yeah. That, that tried this. Oh, yeah. They dismantled the police department. That's what they're talking but about the, in The police in didn't go away. That's correct. They just reallocated the budget That's right. to say, if Don calls and they say, 911, what's your emergency? My friend's suicidal. Okay, I'm sending out the this patrol. Mm -hmm. You call up 911, what's your emergency? My friend, I'm in my friend's house. I think he's overdosed on drugs. They send out that patrol. Mm -hmm. It's not one size fits all. There are different tools in the toolbox yeah. for the different responses that we have. I find it intriguing. Yeah. Here here's the issue to me. And and 
and I'll just play devil's advocate here a little bit. If you're over here and you you introduced a weapon because you talked about having a knife, right? You're not going to bring a social worker over here when you the moment you introduce a knife. Charlene Lyles, though, to your point, and we know that this happened. This is a mom who was having a difficult time. She had babies at home. Two Seattle police officers showed up. She pulled out a knife, went at them, they say, and then they fired and they killed Charlene Lyle. So that is one of the cases that people talk about here in Seattle. Some people feel like if it wasn't cops that showed up, but to your point, Ron, if it was somebody else that was trained to deal in mental health, then maybe Charlene Lyles wouldn't have picked up a knife and come at those particular officers that we don't know or if we look at the josh powell case there was a social worker there uh josh set up a house uh he had his two kids there was a social worker there who was basically there to uh protect those children she got pushed out of the house and josh murdered those little boys and we're not gonna say how he murdered but it, it that that social worker she was in over her head and you have to believe if there's a police officer there would that police officer would they have been overtaken by Josh Powell in the same way that Josh Powell overtook that social worker. So this is the question, though. What we're seeing all around, and we saw it in Atlanta, right? We, 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 we see a fast food place burning. We see an officer whose taser is taken. And there will be cops that will say, hey, once you take my taser, it's game on. Well, the mayor down there said it's not game on and fired that particular officer. We have never seen this. We have never. And the police chief immediately resigned. Yeah. We have never seen a mayor step in and start firing police officers. We, we, we haven't seen this. And so the thing that we have to ask ourselves is what really happened uh, two nights ago in Atlanta. And we don't know. And it used to be this. It's an ongoing investigation. That officer is sitting at a desk. The investigation usually goes on for two years. It hangs over the community. It hangs over that police officer. And then sometimes they get their jobs back. Sometimes they don't. Here's the big issue. There's no uniformity when it comes to policing. There is not. The way we police here in Seattle is not the way they they police in Minneapolis, which is not the way they police in Chicago, which is not the way that they police in Aberdeen, which is not the way that they police in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is not the way they police in New Orleans, Louisiana. In Albuquerque, New Mexico, starting pay down there is $26,000. If you're a cop here in Seattle, you can make close to $200,000 a year as a cop. You know how you do that? You call in when you're supposed to be working, they pay you, and then you go take another gig, and you get paid time and a half. Cops do that all the time, all the time. So there's lots of money hanging on trees for cops here in the Seattle area, specifically because of all the tech jobs, all the building, all the construction. There's a lot of people here, a lot of money that hire a lot of security. Uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. You wouldn't believe how many cops work for them and they're local cops here. They pick up the phone. They call in. They don't show up for their shift. We, the taxpayer, are paying for them. And then on top of that, what they are doing now is they're getting paid time and a half, probably $100 an hour to work at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So what we need to figure out, we need to have uniformity in policing. 
the way that we police here in Seattle, the way we deal with crowds, the way we deal with riots, there should be some uniformity in a city like Phoenix, which is exactly the same size, or a city like Boston, which is exactly the same size. New York might be a little different. I mean, New York has one of the biggest economies in the world. They have the seventh largest standing army in their police department. Their police department is the seventh largest standing army in the world. That's incredible. So I think we need uniformity. And I think this is something that probably needs to really be looked at. Defunding the police? No. Redeploying the police. And I know there's a lot of cops out there that signed up to be a police officer, not to be a social worker. So I think there'd be cops on the other side that were that full battle rattle that would agree with you. And finally, I'll say this. 3.6 million vehicles were left in Iraq and Afghanistan by the United States uh, military. And you know what happened? The United States became a laughing stock because we gave that gear to local Iraqis and Afghans. And what they did is they turned around and they gave it away. And then it was used against U.S. troops, right? When we turn it on, we go, how did ISIS get a Humvee? Well, because we left all that gear over there. So now what we do is we sell it to local police departments. You know what we charge a dollar for an MRAP? That's an $800,000 vehicle. It's called a Buffalo. Costs $1, no training. And you see police departments all around the country rolling around in MRAPs, which are mine-sweeping vehicles. We also see police departments uh, that have all kinds of military gear that they don't know how to use. And then to your point, Ron, they come on the streets. They don't look like community police officers. They look like they're in the military. Now take a guy who's been fighting in Iraq and Afghanistan. Bring him back here. He signs up for state patrol, and then you give him the same riot gear because most of the riot gear is military riot gear. You put all the same gear on him that he used in Iraq and Afghanistan and then put him in an MRAP and then tell him to go out and be a, a community policing officer. That's the wrong message. You don't use the same gear you used over there back here put that gear on and then go out and you look like it's us versus them. And like, we're the militia, we're the military and we're coming after you, Seattle. You know, I love cops. I don't love cops that look like they're on a foreign battlefield. That's some bull right there. He's Ron. I'm Don. We'll see you on the other side of this. When it comes to your real estate journey, it truly is one of life's biggest transactions. If you're downsizing, upsizing, or right-sizing, Ron and Don can help you buy, sell, or invest in real estate. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit-down. That's what Heather and Juan Carlos did. We got so lucky. I don't think we could have gotten this house without Ron and Don. So now we had to sell our old house. We had to sell it because we couldn't have been able to afford, you know, paying two mortgages. And Ron and Don had already been thinking of strategies the whole time they were strategizing. What, what, what will we do if this and what will we do if that? And so we put it on the market on Saturday. There was a lot of interest. They made an offer on the, on the offer date for over asking price. We did amazing. It was the best case scenario. We couldn't have done better. It couldn't have been a better experience. And the buying process was wonderful in the selling process. It felt like we were their most important project. I couldn't be happier with the experience we had. We all celebrated. It felt like a team victory. (laughs) We were all just jumping up and down. Don't forget, when you're ready to sit down and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at runanddonsitdown.com.
Don't go anywhere unless you want to. It's the Ron and Don Show, starring Ron and Don, and sometimes me, at ronanddon.com. All right, you guys, episode 117 of the Ron and Don Show. You just heard Juan Carlos and Heather, two of our favorite people in the world. And one of the things that we miss after the real estate transaction is what they miss. They become... They become part of our family, and we kind of miss them. And Heather even told me the other day that she loved me. <laughs> and it's like, you know what? And it's like, I love you and Juan Carlos, too. It is bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, we just had another client that is moving away to be there, there in a long-term relationship, moving out of state. And uh, I was on pins and needles. It was it was one of these transactions. Like, sometimes things just are smooth sailing. It's easy. Yeah. Sometimes there's hiccups that are not in anybody's control. It's right. just like something happens with the bank or something happens with a property manager. Something happens where a form uh, wasn't filled out right. And now you're scram- everyone's scrambling. And you're, that, that's how this transaction went. There was a bunch of these little nagging things. Uh, and it was a condo in Puyallup. And there's a single woman that had worked really hard to become a homeowner, and now she's selling that home. Uh, And so it was a really big deal for her. The woman that was buying the condo, it was her first time to be a property owner. So it was a huge deal to her and worked two jobs and a community organizer. And so I was, this was a great transaction for me. It was like, I I love everybody in in this deal. I love the people that are selling, I love the people that are buying. And uh, so when it happened on Friday and it was finally closed, I, I was like, oh, such a huge relief for me knowing that uh, our client is now going to get a, a nice profit because she bought this a while back, be able to start her life in a new state, uh, helped with this real estate money. And But the other thing is like, oh, now she's gone. Like yeah. you spent all this time no. uh, it's an, and it's a really intense experience. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, yeah. see you down the road. Yeah, and then we got to meet Dan and Terry over the weekend. Uh, we got to meet Sarah over the weekend. Uh, we got to meet my friend Olga over the weekend. Starts with the Ron and Don sit down. We love sitting down with you guys. We'll give you a Ron and Don mug. It just says, uh, I sat down with Ron and Don. And that's how it started with Heather and Juan Carlos, as they told you. And uh, that's how it can start, too. So if you're ready uh, for a real estate journey, we'd love to be a part. Buying, selling, investing, or you're just kind of kicking some tires. Or you just want to know more about what your property is worth, reach out to us. Uh, you can reach out to Ron, Ron at windermere.com. And I'm Don O'Neill at windermere.com. All this information, if you're driving right now, just go to ronanddon.com. You'll see the radio microphone. That's all the radio stuff. And then you'll see Ron and Don there. Uh, click on those guys and uh, reach out to us, and we'll sit down with you virtually. So, hey, let's talk about happiness right now. You know, one of the things that we notice. When people buy, like Juan Carlos and Heather, they bought what they call their forever home. And they left the house in Redmond. And then their family's gotten older. So they ended up buying a house in Capitol Hill. And they're so thrilled with this house. It's their forever home. This is what I noticed, though, about them, is they're so thrilled and happy anyway. And when I stood with them at their Redmond home, I stood with Heather in the backyard and I asked her, I said, what are you going to miss the most about this house? And she started talking about all the memories of the things that, cause they had a huge backyard, all the memories that her and her family created in this backyard and specifically climbing this tree. Then a couple of weeks later, I was with Juan Carlos and I asked him the same question without prompting Heather and she wasn't around. He said the same darn thing. It was that backyard. He says, we love the backyard so much. Sometimes we'd open up the doors and we'd be out there eating dinner in the dead of winter just because we love being outside with our family. When it comes to happiness, 
it wasn't just this big purchase that they made on Capitol Hill. Happiness is an everyday thing for them as a couple, as a family. They have music, they have art, and they find happiness in even the mundane things. Uh, and there's some new research out on this, right? Well, this has been evolving for a long time, and I, I've read quite a few of these books on on happiness. And the two that I'd recommend, because people always go, what were the two books you talked about? One is there. there's a Mayo Clinic book on happiness that's totally backed by all the science and data. So if you're a, a sort of a science data guy like I am, mm-hmm. and like you don't want just a woo-woo book, uh, even though I'm getting more woo-woo as I get older. <laughs> you uh, are. The, <laughs> the Mayo Clinic one is super interesting. <laughs> yeah. There's another book that, again, it comes at it from an engineer's mindset. It's called Solve for Happy. And this was a guy that uh, was at the highest echelon of the tech community, and his son mm. uh, died in a medical... Um, not in malpractice, but a medical mishap yeah. in the hospital at a very young age. And so he approached happiness from a different angle. But what, what the latest and greatest science and fMRIs and all those things talk about in psychologists is that if you, if your goal is happiness, then you're not going to be happy. Yeah. So that's the paradox. If you say, and you ask somebody, what do you want? I just want to be happy. That if you chase that goal, you will never be happy. Mm-hmm. And so it is the people that are chasing their dreams, their fulfillments, their curiosities, their moments, their family, whatever that is. It can even be your career. If you have a career that, that you just love and that's what you're chasing, you happiness, what they found out is a byproduct of a noble pursuit chasing meaning when you chase meaning right. in your life and you're not chasing happiness because if you just if, if if you hit the pleasure button so like for me when i would drink alcohol part of that was numbing but part of it was really fun yeah like, like i pleasurable. had a, i had a great time when i and and then the behavior that would go along with that would be really fun too, but as I got older, and then you and can I reflect would, on, hey, remember we did that thing with the deal? Totally, yeah. Right. But as I got older, trying to get up and you have a hangover, I got to be a parent today. I got a dog. I got to work and all that. It just then, then hitting that 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 pleasure button got harder to do, and I got less pleasure and less happiness from it. But if you're but if you're chasing that with sex and drugs and rock and roll and all those other things that we've heard about, uh, it's fleeting. It is fleeting, and you'll keep hitting that button, hitting that button, hitting that button. Pavlov's dog keep hitting that button, and it will just move farther and farther away. But when you and I shouldn't even say chase meaning when you just invest in meaning, what the meaning of your life is, the meaning of somebody else's life, and when you really take the time to invest in a child, spend some time in your kiddo's classroom, really spend some. And I think I think we value this more than ever because we've had to push away six feet. And in some instances, we haven't seen people we love and care about for months. Some of those people have passed away, right? When you think of COVID and you couldn't go see your grandparent and they ended up passing away. Or I think of Wes Jones, one of my favorite realtors, he's having to talk through his grandmother uh, through a window right. at a care center. So it's like, you know what? I think I, I, I think we value these things a little bit more. And I think we're really all, as a society, taking some time to put our lives under a microscope and say, hey, is, is, is it the big house purchase that makes me happy? Or is it the things I'm going to do in that house with the people I love and care about that I derive happiness from? Well, the, the, the greatest piece of advice I got from this was a while back uh, when I was going to go be a guest speaker at a, at a high school. Because, you know, the, the standard advice 
uh, at every graduation, college and high school is, you know, do something that you love and pursue your passion and all that stuff. Yeah. Not that that's BS, but I think it's BS. And the thing that I've read, and I, I, I can't remember the attribution, is don't follow your passion. Follow your curiosity. Mm, that's good. And if you follow your curiosity, it does. it's not overwhelming. Yeah. And then if you, keep, if you make that a habit in your life, eventually you're going to find a group of things that you are passionate about. But if you sit there and if you're like me, you go, well, what am I passionate about? I don't know. What, what am I so passionate about that I want to dedicate my life to it? That's yeah. what it feels like this huge mm -hmm. thing. And you're like, I, I can't answer that. But just follow your curiosity. So isn't it, Bill Gates a great example of that? Yeah, just whatever. Someone, someone who whose whole life he has followed his curiosity, right? Yeah, and so just that for me is one of the, the huge upsides of travel, and you got to see this when you and I traveled together. You're just walking along, and you and I did this, and you see a French bakery. I've never been in this French bakery. Let's go in here. Mm -hmm. And so you're curious. You go in. You try something you've never tried before, or you see a little bit of different in a different light, or whatever it is. And uh, I remember my brother and I went to the Eiffel Tower and he's like, man, I don't know. There was a long line. He's like, I don't need to go up. Like, we can just stay here. This is really cool. And I was like, dude, we are not coming to the Eiffel Tower and you're not going up. Yeah. Like, we did, not, I did, we did not come all the way to France. <laughs> I said, it's different from up there That's than right. it is from down here. <laughs> and so we did the one where you climb the stairs, and we got that observation deck. I bought him a, a cold beer because it was a hot summer day. And to this day, he will tell you, that is the best beer I've ever had in my life. Oh, Why? Yeah. Because we happened to be in the Eiffel Tower yeah. when you drank it. And it was the journey of getting there, and we were just being curious. Yeah. So if you just be curious... And it can be making something. It can be reading something. It can be going somewhere. Just be curious. Then you will eventually find what you're passionate yeah. about. It was interesting when I decided not to drink anymore. One day, I went to a Safeway and I bought some beer. Mm -hmm. and, the, and this is when I kind of had, and I'll just call it, I had a relapse. And one of my friends asked, and I only bought, I bought two beers, right? right. I didn't buy a six pack. Right. Because if I'm going to relapse, I'm not going to get drunk. I'm just going to. So I bought these two tall cans of Rainier. And, well, you and went top shelf even. I've never told anyone this. And then, and then they had, they, this, this particular person, one of my friends, they had seen the beer in the fridge and they said, what happened to those two beers? And, uh, I kind of lied about it. And then, and then they saw the two beers in the trash can and, the reason for the, the, and they said the same thing you did. They're like, if, if you're going to relapse, why are you relapsing with Rainier beer? Right, exactly. And why are you relapsing with only two Rainier beers? And the reason I relapse with Rainier is every time I see Rainier, I remember Captain Keith, my crew. I remember 10 years ago, climbing Rainier, summiting. And they, they said, and Lou Whitaker said, he said, when you get to the top, take a Rainier with you and it'll be the best beer you ever had. And it's true. When we got to the top of Rainier and that carbonation in your mouth at altitude, you've done all this work together. And we all sat around and had a Rainier together. It was the very best beer I've ever had. And so when I relapsed. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. <laughs> I love it. I decided I was going to relapse with a couple of Rainier you beers. Around here, it's Rainier. <laughs> 
to kind of relive it. So there you go. Anyway. Hey, we come back. We're going to finish up. Uh, Ron's going to tell you about a local town who's decided to change the currency. And I'm also going to tell you about an email I got from my cousin Jim. It kind of irked me a little bit. And now I own the phone call. I'll tell you why next. We'll see you in two minutes. The Ron and Don Show. Episode 117, you guys. Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. You're listening to The Ron and Don Show on the Ron and Don Radio Network, ronanddon.com. All right, you guys, don't forget episode 117, and Ron and I are licensed realtors at Windermere. When you're ready to sit down, it's called The Ron and Don Sit Down. Let's do it. Just write Ron, Ron at windermere.com. Uh, coming up, I have some thoughts that I wrote about, placed on my Facebook page I'm going to share with you before we get out of here. It just has to do, my cousin sent me something, and it kind of ticked me off. Uh, but it got me to thinking too. And it, well, I'll, I'll tell you what he sent me here in a moment. Before we get to that, let's get to this. What's going on tonight in Washington? This is really, really fascinating. So communities, especially small towns like Tanino, I think population 1,800, uh, trying to figure out how do we as a community get through this COVID crisis. And so the mayor there in Tanino is super young. He's maybe in his mid to late 20s. Ron, show me a picture. Uh, He looks 18. And he is a, a young mayor, and he looked back into Tanino's history. And so he found something interesting. Back in the Great Depression, uh, there were a couple of wealthy families in Tenino that had made their money in the, in the, tr- the timber industry. Mm. And they said, you know what? We want to get stimulus for our, our community, mm. but we want the money to help the community. Yeah. So they went down and they found this old printing press. They got some wood veneer from their timber factory mm. and they printed Tenino currency. And so this young mayor saw this idea and goes, you know what, I'm, I'm going to revive that. So he went down to the museum in Tenino. The same printing press is still there. That's awesome. So they designed up these uh, currency. It's printed on wood. And they're backing it with money from the community. You're going to get, you get Tenino dollars. You have to spend them in Tenino. And oh. they come in increments of $25. Uh, they are colorfully printed. There's a picture of George Washington on it. Yeah. And then these green sunbursts that comes out. And you can get, I think, the depending on what your strata is or your income level, you can get up to $300 of Tenino bucks a month. Hmm. Uh, and they aren't, they're not accepted on Amazon. They're not accepted uh, in the big box stores. You have to go to a community uh, vendor and you can spend your Tenino money in Tenino. So what does this do? Like, what what do you think is the um, well, you can get, motivation you, behind it? And you can't buy alcohol, groceries, lotto tickets, or cigarettes. So they're just really, really trying to support local businesses. Yeah, it's trying to support local business. And uh, he's trying to be innovative with something that has precedent in American history. And th- this article that I read goes back and traces back the first time they did this. The Tenino bucks uh, got a lot of press. And then became collector's items. So at one point, they were trading for 10x their face value. Wow. So if you had a $1 Tenino buck, it would trade for $10. Mm. And they had different denominations of the, this currency. And then some other communities jumped on and started doing it as well and copying Tenino. Yeah. And then there's a whole cottage industry of people that trade these currencies. They're very rare, as you can imagine. And if you have a collection of these from different townships across America, this is a thing that people will trade and collect and they've increased in value. Um, So I think, A, it's to just communicate with the community. We want to help you. 
but we want you to be, we would love it if you spent your money and your effort and your time connecting back to where you live. Yeah. I, I love this idea. I think instead of just handing something out and now I go spend it on a multinational, hand it out and maybe it forces me to go, okay, well, where do I want to spend this? Yeah. You travel a lot. Uh, the coolest currency and then the currency where you're like, I can't believe I have 56 shillings in my pocket right now. And as I walk down the street, I'm basically leaning to the right because I have them in my right pocket. My back's about to be thrown out. And in U.S. currency, this is two cents. Yeah, well, let's see. This the ones that I've experienced. <laughs> well, once you get used to the euro, the thing about the which is all across Europe is we are, I am not a change guy. If I get change in my pocket, I will either leave it in the little take a penny, leave a penny jar. Even yeah. if it's like 11 cents, it's like, I don't, I don't want that dime. Mm. Get it, I get it out or I put it in my change jar. So when you're in a, in a country where everything is, is coins, ah, yeah. like I'll just get this big pocket right. of coin, but that's it's like real money. That's my point. You know? And so that's a thing. Um, I'm trying to remember the China currency. China currency was odd because it wasn't a, an easily divisible number. Hmm. And so you spend the whole time trying to think of what it is in dollars. So there was this, my favorite little breakfast thing is a walk-up stand. Just imagine you go up to a, like a food booth. It's just a vendor on the street. They would make this. It had a big crepe, a flat cooktop. So they would put a dough on there. Mm. Uh, and then they would put vegetables, sprouts, hoisin sauce, a crunchy uh, deep fried wonton, roll it up like a burrito, and they'd yeah. cut it. One of the most delicious breakfast. And put an egg on there. One of the most delicious things I've ever had. I got back to my hotel. And I was like, oh, that's so great. I did the math. It was forty. It's like so. I was like, "All right, I'm eating there every day. Yeah. Like it's a dollar forty. So Tanino Washington, keep your eyes peeled. If you see this currency, I would actually love to get my hands on one. Yeah. Hey, uh, before we get out of here, uh, I had some thoughts over the weekend. I wrote them down and I wanted to share them with you. Uh, if you ever look at any of my social media, I don't cut and paste a lot. If I see something that somebody has written, then I'll usually maybe comment back to them or send them a note. It's pretty unusual that I'll take what somebody else said and I love quotes, right? So I have a lot of quotes around my house, but even with quotes, I don't take a lot of quotes and, and, and put up quotes. Cause again, when you look at a quote or you look at somebody, something that somebody else has written to me, it's hard rot. To me, it's hard work. To me, it took some deep thinking. To me, it took some time. To me, it took some perspective. To me, it took the ability to really sit down and look at the world through other lenses and there's intrinsic value in that. And just seeing something, especially during these political storms that we're having right now and the unrest, and you see something that somebody has said and you went, aha! And you take that and you put that on your page. Or you take that and you send that to someone else. And you're like, you know what? I'm, I, now I'm going to set you straight with something that somebody else thought, said, worked on it. And I'm sending it to you because guess what? I feel that way. Do you feel that way? Did you take the time to go deep and do some inner work and find out, do you really feel that way? So this is what I wrote. I said, uh, my cousin Jim uh, sent me a video this morning. It was politically charged. And after I got done watching it, I wondered what the point was. These weren't his thoughts. They were someone else's, I think. And I think he agrees with them, but I'm not sure. I think he's trying to convince me something, but I'm not sure what he's trying to convince me of. 
And it's not like we talk every day. We talk maybe once or twice a year. But nonetheless, I woke up and these videos were in my inbox. Because of my profession and Ron's profession, we get tens of thousands of videos and articles, opinion pieces in our inbox each and every year. Tens of thousands, you guys. Lots of them. I look at what I can look at, but a lot of it I just throw away because I don't have time for it. And a lot of times when people are sending you that, it's like, here, watch this. Here's storm cake. It's what this guy said over here. And now I'm sending it your way to set you straight. And I love cake like everybody else. But you rarely see me sometimes post a lot of this stuff. So, hey, uh, some of the memes and some of the meanest mail that I receive often will make me visit a person's page. There I try to figure out where they're coming from. But again, it's more stuff that other people created that they post. And I learn nothing about what they think. My son and I have been talking about joy a lot. And I think it's what the world needs right now. So I asked him to write down the things that bring him joy. And that's what he did. And it took him three days to talk about the things that bring him joy. Some of the things that he wrote that bring him joy. He said, uh, laying on the couch and laying on certain pillows brings him joy. Taking a hot shower. I didn't know that taking a hot shower brings him joy, but now it makes sense to me that every time I go to take a hot shower myself, all the hot water's gone. It brings him joy. When he sits on the couch, he likes to sit on the couch with his family. It brings him joy. Riding his bicycle at a very specific park, it brings him joy. Sitting on the porch outside brings him joy. I didn't know that. I didn't know that sitting outside on the porch brings him joy. But I know that now because he did the work and he took three days to sit down and write the things that bring him joy. As his parent, friend, his advocate, it gives me now a view into his brain, his heart, his emotion, his wiring. It's really the most valuable thing that I can ask for as I try to figure out our life together. And as he moves forward as an adult uh, in the near future. Again, the things he shared with me, it took him three days to write. So this morning I picked up the phone. I called my friend Mike in New Orleans. He's a family law attorney there. He had posted something that he wrote online. I was curious about it. So as I drank my Sunday coffee, we talked and we had an incredible conversation. And I walked away with a better understanding of what Mike wrote. I don't agree with what he wrote, but I have a better understanding now of what Mike's feeling. I just want to encourage all of us as I close here. Take some time. Do what Mike did. Do what my son did. Take some time to write down things that you care about from your perspective. I say this a lot, that the three most powerful words in the English language are, I love you. The three most important are, write it down. I may, not, I may not see the, the world the same as you or Mike. I may even view joy differently than my son does. But as far as our conversation goes, I've had two great conversations with two humans because they cared enough to write it down. Don't want to be preachy, but I encourage all of you, especially now, hey, find your voice. Take some time for yourself. Write down things from your perspective. I want you to know that your perspective matters to me and it matters to a lot of people. And then after that, pick up the phone and let's talk to each other. We don't need to agree, but I think we have to turn off some of these fire hoses of memes and reposting and copying and pasting things that somebody else created. 
Just some thoughts. Cousin Jim, I owe you a phone call. The rest of you, keep your head up, your shoulders back. This is episode 117. We'll see you next time, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Keep your head up and your shoulders back. And we'll see you next time on the Ron and Don Radio Network.